Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. On December the 12th, China filed a complaint at the World Trade Organization, or WTO, against the United States over its chip export control measures. In recent years, the U.S. has passed a set of regulations aimed at curbing China's semiconductor industry. China accuses the U.S. of using export controls to maintain its leadership in high-tech sectors, but the U.S. said its national security interests require it to act decisively to control China's access to advanced technologies. So what exactly are China's aspirations by taking the case to the WTO? How big is the chance that China may get the upper hand in the case? And what difference could it make to the race for scientific and technological advantages? I'm pleased to be joined from Beijing by Professor Zhao Hong at the Law School of Peking University. She is also a former member of the appellate body of the WTO and from Singapore by Bert Hoffman, director of the East Asian Institute of the National University of Singapore. The warmest welcome to both of you to the point. So, Professor Zhao, let me go to you first. As I said, China um, put forward this action against the United States through the WTO over the United States export control measures against China. And uh, China's Ministry of Commerce, or MOFCOM, said that filing the case with the WTO is a way of addressing Chinese concerns through legal means and a necessary way to defend China's legitimate interests. So exactly what did China do to the, you know, with the WTO as far as U.S. export control measures on semiconductors are concerned? Well, thank you, Xin, for having me uh, and this uh, great opportunity to talk this important issue uh, with audiences. But I guess for me, uh, either as a professor or the former pilot body member, we kind of reluctant to talk the ongoing dispute, as this is a, a case that has been just initiated. And I guess it still needs time for the U.S. to respond to receive uh, the consultation request, but they will receive uh, usually within 10 days. And, the, uh, and then there will be consultation. And then if the consultation fail to resolve this dispute, a panel could be established to uh, review uh, the, the issue. And then the panel will decide whether China will win or not. So basically right now, we're only at the very beginning of this long process, which can take years. Is that right? That's correct. And usually we, you know, the, the either the media or the, well, I'm the insider of the case, you know, the dispute settlement in Geneva for, for, for decades. Uh, so I feel that better the uh, either the media, the diplomats do not put a pressure on the dispute. Now let the parties talk, let them settle the dispute. If they fail to settle that by themselves, there'd be chance for the panel to decide. So basically China has not complained to the WTO about what the US did, but China raised a request to consult with the United States. Is that the right way to understand it? Professor Zhao. Exactly. So it depends on the United States now whether it accepts China's request for consultation. The U.S. must accept. That is, uh, you know, a, a, a procedure requirement. Okay. So naturally, it will accept. And then the two sides will decide what time to start the consultation. And as far as they agree, they can be in 
two weeks or in a month or two months, you know, they can mm -hmm. consult. But within six days after consultation, 60 days after consultation, China have the right to request to establish a panel. That oh, is the if the consultation does not resolve the issue. Exactly. Okay. But if but, they decide to expand, that can also uh, extend the time. All right. But again, this is a um, technical issue because you have been with the WTO for so many years. Why does China decide to go to the WTO to request this kind of consultation and not through another, for instance, a bilateral mean, go directly to the US government and say, hey, let's sit down and talk. What makes it different? to have this well, consultation conducted on the WTO. consultation bilaterally on the sideline of the WTO or within the dispute settlement. There's a huge difference, like the phase one agreement between US and China uh, on the, after the trade war uh, waged by Trump administration. That is purely bilateral uh, settlement. That worried, that is also encouraged, you know, the while members could settle their dispute. They, they encourage this, but members worries if big members, you know, settle the dispute outside the framework that, you know, sideline the, the, the multilateral trading system. So this the time, WTO. WTO, then the, this time China decided to launch a case formally within the dispute settlement body of mm -hmm. the World Trade Organization. So the sick, the positive side of it, it is within, it is upholding the multilateral trading system which is in crisis. Okay. Many believe this dispute yeah. settlement body is in crisis. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that in just a moment. Professor Hoffman, uh, from your understanding, help those watching us understand exactly what China is doing with the United States. What is China's rationale in your understanding? And how will the United States defend its actions? From let's start with the United States. As you say, they, they have invoked the national security argument for trying to basically ban. I mean, they don't call it a ban. It's actually a license with a presumption to refuse uh, of semiconductors, semiconductors high-grade semiconductors, and the equipment to make those uh, semiconductors and U.S. personnel working on in the sector. They try to ban exports and work in China. That's very far, a very far-reaching measure. Uh, many sectors depend on semiconductors, and that is from AI to biochemistry to computers themselves that uh, rely on high-level uh, semiconductors. So it's a very tough measure, if you want. Um, and it's not just a measure that applies to US companies but the US also tries to enforce those measures to other companies in other countries, uh, including uh, in uh, South Korea. I come from the Netherlands. ASML is a, a key uh, company in the supply chain of semiconductors. They try to enforce a ban on them as well. So for China, this is really a very critical issue. Uh, a lot of development objectives that China has in uh, its 14 five-year plan, for instance, they rely on having a high-level computing capacity and without the chips, that's not possible. So for China, it's very appropriate to say, well, look, I'm going to defend myself. And uh, I find it really interesting and, and very encouraging that China takes the international rules as its guide, i.e. 
this is clearly a dispute that needs to be settled through the WTO. It's a trade dispute, and they approach the WTO for the for the right processes. Of course, it's also a political a political dispute, and the bilateral negotiations may also, of course, deal with this issue. But I I really appreciate the WTO channel that China is now undertaking. Yeah. Well, the United States has been citing national security concerns as a basis for these measures. So what how solid is the legal base for that? And how strongly do you think the United States is going to be able to defend its measures in front of the WTO? There is in the WTO, actually, it's the General Agreement of Tariffs and Trade that has a clause on national security, Clause 21. And basically, uh, the United States tried to use that as an excuse for uh, not recognizing WTO jurisdiction over this kind of measures. Uh, the WTO itself has already disagreed with that. There was a previous dispute between Ukraine and Russia after the 2014 takeover of Russia of, of Crimea, uh, where there was a dispute and brought to the WTO. And the WTO has said, no, this is not a, 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 a free card for all the national security. Invoking national security doesn't mean that you don't can disregard the whole WTO. There has to be a real emergency of international in, in international relations. So they limit the application of that particular clause. Mm-hmm. And that means that China has a a, a, a good chance that at least in, at the panel level, the U.S. would be found to be in obstruction of WTO rules. That's not the end of the story, though, and I'm sure Professor yeah. Zhao would want to talk about that. Professor Zhao, what is your assessment of the likeliness that the United States may not have enough legal ground to, to uh, justify its actions exactly what kind of national security concern can be considered legitimate or can be concerned a, a fair ground for measures that, uh, such as what the United States did to China in terms of uh, semiconductor chips? Well, the United States is uh, kind of uh, believing that it is, uh, the national security issue is a self-judging uh, problem. But the as you self-judging, ask, a condition. self-judging means they define each country defines their own national yes. security interest, right? Yeah. But if that is the case, then there is no national security interest that can be defined because everybody will define it differently. Exactly. So the so the national security uh, provision of Article Twenty One of GATT nineteen ninety four contains two layers, according to me. One is self-judging. That is any action taken to protect what a member considers necessary to defend its essential security interest. That part is totally self-judging. Mm-hmm. But then the provision of Article 21 followed that, you know, a uh, relative clause defining the situations when those actions could be taken. And that is very limited in nature as a specific. That, yeah. for instance, uh, fishery um, materials uh, relating to fishery materials, and the second, I think it is um, transit in, in in arms, ammunitions, military actions, and the third is in war, in time of war and uh, other international emergencies. And the United States, uh, for example, in the recent tariff case, uh, 
the uh, Professor Hoffman mentioned, is claiming they invoke other situation of international emergency. Hmm. And the panel decided that if the uh, other it cannot be decided, the United States believe it is self-judging this part as well. The panel believe this is the objective, much more much of the, the conditions and circumstances of those actions are much more objective. As it is clear, those conditions has been enumerated clearly, explicitly within the provision. So if they believe the emergency situation, if, if it is not of equally gravity or severity of war, should be of comparable gravity and the uh, the severity. Let me translate translate what you said into layman's language. Basically, if it is a situation such as a war, then you are justified to have certain uh, protective measures. But or on other circumstances where the situation is as severe as war times or similar levels, but you cannot just say, well, it is national security, I'm going to do something. Is that what 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 the clause is all I about? I think that is a much more, uh, you know, a genuine interpretation of yeah. the the framers, the, the, the original intentions of the treaty. So and that so, is why the, this provision hasn't been has been used very rarely in the past seven decades. But, but now the United States is definitely invoking that. Yes, I, I guess it indicated already by the uh, Mr. Hawkman, I guess, mm -hmm. already yeah. even to the new case, the cheap suit. Yeah. But I, so I think it's pretty worrisome. But uh, anyway, the the uh, if this provision, as you said, can be inter interpreted very broadly, it can swallow the whole of the rule. And so the, basically, the, if anyone, anybody, anybody who that, wants to impose certain export or protective measures, they can say this is national security to me, and the situation may look may look not look serious to you, but it, it can look serious to me. Is that <laughs> basically what the United States is setting a precedent for? That's they want to, but I guess they failed uh, in the, the the last in the tariff case. Yeah. And okay. the Russia also didn't win that part in the uh, the both Russia and the U.S. decline. Yeah. The panel has a jurisdiction mm -hmm. in the Russian transit uh, transit uh, case. Uh, yeah, Mr. Hoffman. Again, the United States. Um, you know, they were one of the ones who wrote the rules. Okay, <laughs> let's not forget they led the. Uh, members of the international community in coming up with these rules. And now they're looking into, to me, they're looking into loopholes to justify their export control measures. Um, this sounds a little bit incredible to me. I mean, what is your understanding? Well, uh, interesting enough, there is quite a bit of literature on the debate that took place in the very early days when the GATT was formed in the 1940s on the U.S. debate around this national security exemption. And there, basically, even the U.S. experts came out that it, it's not an, uh, a, a get-home-free card. In other words, there are limitations to that national security clause. In those days, the United States agreed because they knew that if they would not agree, then the GATT would not have real effectiveness because everybody could invoke that clause. Mm -hmm. Now it's very different. Uh, what is What is also interesting is that the measures as announced, I mean, the, the measures by the Department of Commerce of the United States, but there was an announcement, a speech by Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor of the United States, a month before those measures were announced. And the objective 
was clearly to keep China technologically behind. And that was an explicit objective in the speech of Jake Sullivan. So in a way that undermines the case, uh, one can imagine that there's always, well, in some cases there is dual use technology and technology can be used for civil purposes, technology can be used for military purposes. And the latter, of course, that would potentially fall under national security concerns. But if it is just a matter of broadly keeping a country behind technologically, that uh, seems to not be covered by the WTO rules. And so, uh, uh, of course, we need to go through the whole process. We need to see where it ends. Maybe the United States and China at some point find a good compromise. But, uh, but for now, it is, uh, it's a very difficult measure. What do you foresee maybe the likelihood? I mean, if China did get certain justice, let's say, through the WTO about the illegal nature of these measures, illegal concerning the WTO rules, what would be the implications? I mean, okay, is a moral, maybe a moral victory for China, but uh, what practical use would it serve, Mr. Hoffman, your understanding? So if the panel were to decide it's WTO incompatible, normally, well, country can do two things. They can adjust the measure or they can appeal. And that's where things get a little hairy, unfortunately, because, I mean, Professor Zhao knows better than I, but at the moment, the appeals body and the WTO is not functioning. So if you want, the United States can appeal and then nothing will happen. Then there is a vacuum. The reason is that the WTO appeals body right now is not staffed enough mm -hmm. to be able to provide judgments. And the reason for that is that the United States has not approved new appeals judges for that appeals body. So it's almost a catch-22, as, as you would say in, in uh, American English. Uh, so uh, that... There is not necessarily, the WTO route does not necessarily give a resolution of the dispute. There's other options, as the bilateral option is one. Uh, so if, if China, if China, because we know that the appellate body is not in function, and it's unlikely that the United States is going to switch course very easily simply, simply because China complained. So why bother? Why does China still press ahead with this case? What is your understanding? Well, you mentioned the moral victory, and I think that is actually very important. It is also, it demonstrates that China wants to live by the international rules. The United States has as a big argument that they are the defenders of the rule-based international order. But in this case, China wants to use that rule-based international order to come to, to come to an agreement, to come to a resolution of this dispute. But in a way, the United States is, is not playing playing the game uh, with, mm. with, according to the rules. So I think that moral victory is actually quite important. Uh, um, second, uh, look, that, that process does give some time for a resolution in other means, maybe bilaterally and or maybe the United States, which also encounters some resistance from its allies that need to, that need to play a ball with the United States, including the Netherlands, including Japan, to some extent, Korea, uh, uh, and, and Taiwan, that is also an important player in the semiconductor business. Uh, so there are resolutions that are a bit different. One of them would be the Wassenaar Agreement. Wassenaar is a town in the Netherlands where there is an agreement among basically US allied, uh, allied countries, but also Russia, interestingly, 
where there is an, a, an, a process to come to an agreement on which dual use technology needs to be restricted or mm -hmm. not. And that's where, that's where you can narrow down the measure to say military use, uh, if that is a concern. And that is much closer related mm -hmm. to national security concerns. So m maybe the United States would at some point take that route. All right. Professor Zhao, what is your answer to these questions, knowing the appellate body is not functioning properly? Basically, you left it with great, uh, with almost a bit of uh, sorrow um, because of the paralysis of the situation. So knowing that is not functioning, basically the appeals court within the WTO is not functioning. China still wants to pursue this case. Why? I think that is the manifestation, as Professor Hoffman said. China wants to support the, the uh, multilateral trading system by taking these uh, disputes to be settled within the framework. And that is by the concrete action, by using utilizing these rules to make the, the panel, at least the panel function and gave a chance to the US to say whether you want to take a lead. You know, I always say that you must take a very good lead in the very beginning of the dispute settlement body white star to be operated in 1995. The first case, the gasoline, Brazil, Venezuela brought the, this case against the US that they did on the Clean Air uh, Act of the United States and panel pilot body ruled against the United States. And the United States failed the case, but they take, take actions to, to be compliant mm -hmm. with the decision, with the rulings of the DSB and that's set a very good example. So anyone ask me what is the best case you believe within the WTO, I, I always say that is the that is the one. And after the first, everything goes smoothly. Suppose the United States, um, you know, 25 years ago, you know, do not do the same. You know, they do not abide the rules. They do not want to be abide by the rules. Then what happened? There will there will be no dispute settlement. So big members has a bigger op responsibility and duties. So what's the chances that this time the United States may abide by the rules? And is this- I don't want to second, second yeah. guess. I always encourage them, you know, they promoting rule of law, you know, all over the world. And I'm promoting rule of law in China and in international organizations. I believe in rule of law is the best choice for this world, for this treating family, for everyone on this planet. So why not? I always promote them. I will wait to see that there's a wake up of them. Hmm. There's a well, best... sometimes, yeah, sometimes people say it may be a bit too late. You know, for instance, the dispute that we just the other dispute that we just mentioned, where the WTO ruled uh, that the tariffs imposed by former U.S. President Donald Trump on steel and aluminum imports violated global trade rules. Now we're 2022. Trump has already been been uh, you know um, on the sideline for a couple of years. These these measures were there for years, and even if the United States were ruled to not have com complied with WTO rules, the United States is still strong strongly rejecting the so-called flawed interpretation and conclusion of the panel. So it's going to take years if things work out and the United States can still refuse to accept the, the ruling of the, of the panel if there will be one. Professor Zhao, what purpose can it serve? I think it is the, uh, how to say, this is the dilemma of the inter 
the, the international law. Anyone uh, practice international facing this, um, you know, difficulties. And still, I think uh, for, for professors of international law, uh, lawyers in international trade, we still need to uphold international law, the ideals. As I said, there's always something, we know the political, um, geopolitical tensions and everything behind the law, behind the rules. But I think still for us is to uphold those, uh, the multilateralism, the free trade spirit, and the the um, the purposes, objectives that we believe is correct for this for this uh, peoples on this planet. That is the only thing we can do. Mm. I think that is uh, there's a value, except for the moral values. I think there are. But, but, it is but, but, energy. It is. Yeah, of uh, I I believe um, you can do all you you. As our ambassador uh, uh, Li Chen Gang quote, uh, he quoted uh, Michelle's uh, slogan uh, in the uh, campaign for uh, Obama. Uh, that is, we go high. Uh, while, while they go low, we go high. I think for the uh, intellectuals, what can you do? You, 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 I don't know. I think that is only do the correct things. Tell the world the truth. And that's what we can, that's, that is the only thing we can do. Definitely. And teach the students, yeah. the younger generation to believe what yeah. is correct, what is spirit of international law, why we have international law, why we should safeguard mm -hmm. them. A lot of uh, food for thought there, definitely. We won't, unfortunately, have more time to discuss these very important issues, but uh, I'm sure um, this will ring in our heads for the foreseeable future to come. Many thanks, Professor Zhao Hong from Peking University, former member of the appellate body of the WTO, and to Bert Hoffman, director of the East Asian Institute of the National University of Singapore. And with that, we come to the end of this special edition of The Point with me, Lu Xin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Lu Xin in Beijing. You've got the point. Enter this world with a universal greeting. <laughs> we then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Deutsche Bahn. Hear the difference. Join our global network to connect with the world. 